start of this year, we sensed God say something specifically to us that this was the year for us to fully enter into all that God has for us as individuals and as a church. And uh, if this morning you're a visitor, you're new, maybe you're not yet a Christian and you're just checking this thing out. And much of what I want to say really is addressed at Christians this morning, but I really hope that it speaks to you as well and that you get a clearer understanding of what it really does mean to be a Christian. Okay. And it isn't just like a one-off deal, kind of like sign on the dotted line and that's me in. It's actually a journey. It's a journey. It's an adventure. Uh, it's exciting. It's challenging, but it's incredibly rewarding. And that's what we want to kind of look at this morning. Um, have you ever thought about your life that, is this all there is? Have you ever thought about that? Is this all there is? It's just eat, work, sleep, eat, work, sleep, repeat. You know, is that what it is? Is that all my life is? Maybe you've got to a point in your life, in the past or maybe even now, where you've said, is this as good as it gets? Like, is this it? Is this as good as it gets? And I know that most of you this morning would say that you're a follower of Jesus in some way, shape or form. But you know, as a Christian as well, you can get to a point in your Christian life where you can say, is this as good as it gets? How many of you remember your baptism? Yeah, many of you remember that. And you know that when you were baptized and you maybe told your story, you know, about what God had done in your life, it was great and was life changed and it was exciting. But here's the reality. Several weeks, months or years later, you can get to a point in your life where it doesn't feel as exciting or as life transforming as it felt when you were baptized. Am I wrong? I'm not wrong, am I? And you can get to a point where you think, is this as good as it gets, God? Is this as good as my Christian life is ever going to get? And I want to say to you this morning, you can enter in, I can enter in, we can enter into the life that God has for us, but we have to take a step. And not only one, but we have to keep continually taking steps if we're to enter in to all that God has for us. And over the next four weeks, myself and then next week, Andy and then Jane and then Simon, we're going to look at the book of Joshua, which is one of my favorite books in the Bible. In fact, several of you said to me afterwards, you really loved Joshua, didn't you? You were so excited when you were talking. And I really am. In fact, I was holding myself back, okay, because I'm that excited about this book. I'm so passionate about it. But you know, as we look at the story of Joshua in the Old Testament, there is a problem with the book of Joshua. Putting it bluntly, it's a bloody book. And I don't mean that swearing. It is a book filled with battle, with violence, with some very difficult things for us to understand. And some of the things in the book of Joshua become barriers for us, embracing the book and even embracing God. There is some stuff in there. There is some battles. There's some whole cities being wiped out. God telling the Israelites to wipe out whole people with men, women and children. It's really hard for in our 21st century mind to understand the book of Joshua and several other parts of the Old Testament. So how do we make sense of all this? And my job today is to, to create some foundation, some backdrop for the rest of the guys as they head on in the series. But you know, we could speak for hours about this subject. I want to just give you a few important points about how do we make sense of this. You see, the Canaanite people were a group of people that historians and, and scholars believe were the most barbaric people that ever lived on the face of the planet. And for six centuries, God spoke to the Canaanites and tried to get them to change their ways. They were into all kinds of child sacrifice and detestable, horrific things, which I won't talk about this morning. And for six centuries, God asked them to change their ways, but they never did. And, and, and when God sent Israel in and he was wiping them out, in many senses, he'd given them 600 years 
to change and they weren't. And all indications were it was only getting worse. So that's one important thing to remember. Secondly, we have to understand, and this may be hard for some of you if you're not a Christian, God is God and we're not. So there are some things that God does in the Bible that, to be honest with you, and I've been following God for, for, I don't know, 35 years or something. I still don't understand some of these things. And I have to say, do you know what, God? You're God and I'm not. And I have to put that on the shelf and say, I don't quite understand that. Because actually, if I could understand everything about God, then maybe I'd be God. And I know one thing, I'm definitely not him. And you know that too. And you also know that about yourself. So we've got to understand God's ways are higher than ours and there's some things we don't understand. Thirdly, let's never forget God is always a God of grace. God spoke to the Canaanites and gave them 600 years to to turn from their ways and they wouldn't. God is a God of grace. At no other time is Israel asked to do things in quite the same way as they do in the book of Joshua. So that's just a little bit of background to the problem of Joshua. But secondly, I want to talk about the purpose of Joshua, because this is what's really exciting to me. You see, I want to say that geography is theology. And we're going to talk a little bit about geography, which provides theology, our understanding of God and our understanding of life. You see, there are three important lands mentioned in this book and in this whole season. You see, the book of Joshua sits really well between the dark days of Egypt and the darker days of the judges, okay? But you don't need to worry about that. But there are three bits of land that we're going to talk about. Firstly, over here we have Egypt. And Egypt is where Israel was in captivity for 400 years. And that represents what it's like when you're not a Christian. Now, some of you are not a Christian. You might think, well, I don't feel like I'm in slavery. And I understand that. But when you become a Christian, you realize that whether you liked it or not, you were in one sense subject to your flesh and your naturalness and life without God. It's like Egypt. Okay. Then the other land that God wants everyone to go to is this land, Canaan, which is this land of inheritance, this land of promise. It's a land where when you live out your relationship with God, it's as good as it gets. So we've got Egypt and we've got Canaan, but right in the middle, we've got the wilderness, which is where many Christians spend much of their lives, wandering round and round, getting nowhere, delivered out of Egypt, but never fully entering in to the promised land. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're going to look a little bit at the wilderness for a moment. Israel was liberated out of slavery, but you wouldn't have known it. There was two million of them in the wilderness and they were a bunch of moaning, whinging, ungrateful people, even worshipping other gods along the way. I mean, they'd seen the miracles of God. They'd they'd got incredible baptism stories. And yet here they were in the wilderness going round and round the same old, same old, giving in to the same old temptations, worshipping the same old false idols, never fully entering in to the, the land that God had for them. And yet there came a big moment for them in the book of Deuteronomy and chapter 1 where God said this, The Lord our God said to us, You've stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance. In other words, go into the land that I promised you. Go for it. Yet the reality is, what they did is they sent some spies in to check out the land. And this land, the Bible says, was a land flowing with milk and honey. David Cameron mentioned that when he came back from Europe, but I think that's a whole different deal. I'll talk about that later. And um, land flowing with milk and honey. And, and, and the spies went in and they said, do you know what? And they took a step. The spies went in and they saw it and they said, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is as good as it gets, but do you know what? There are giants there and they're really big and we're really small and we can't do it. So that step that those spies took became a backward step of retreat. And a journey that should have taken 11 days took them 40 
long years. And a whole generation died in the wilderness. And that to me is such a picture of what so many of our lives as Christians can be like. We've entered out, but we've never fully entered in. We end up going round and round with the same old, same old, with the same old battles and the same old temptations, never fully experiencing life in the promised land. And in that wilderness, there are moments of miracles. There are moments of majestic stuff that takes your breath away. And the Bible says that the land you're heading to is a land flowing with milk and honey. But right in the middle of that story, God provides manna, bread uh, in the morning for the Israelites miraculously. And the Bible says in Exodus 16 verse 31, that bread was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. So it was white and wet and it tasted like honey. Almost an allusion to a land flowing with milk and honey. And it's like in the wilderness, God gives us a taste of honey on our lips and a taste of the real thing, but we never fully enter in to the real land that God has for us. Does this make sense? And I think many of us as Christians, and maybe you've been a Christian for a few weeks or months or a long time, you know that this is true. That you've come out of Egypt and you've found yourself wandering around the wilderness and occasionally there'll be that taste of honey on your lips, but you know there is so much more for you. There, you know there's so much more if only you could enter in. And I'll, you know, hopefully not to being too condemnatory here, but maybe there are some of you here this morning and you know you're a Christian. You could tell us of the day you ex- exited Egypt, of the day you became a Christian. You could tell us of the day you came out of Egypt, but you can't tell us of the last time you defeated a temptation or the last time you received an answer to prayer. You know you've come out, you know, as it were. You know you've stepped out of Egypt, but you also know that it's been a long time since you knew the intervention of God. It's been a long time since you saw the miraculous of God. It's been a long time since you even felt the presence of God. You're in the wilderness. And God always wanted to bring them out of Egypt, never just to get them out of Egypt, but to get them into Canaan, into the promised land. You're out of Egypt, but maybe Egypt is not quite out of you. And maybe that's where you are in the wilderness. And you say to yourself, but I knew what it was like when I came out of Egypt and it was great and the baptism story was great. And is this it? Is this as good as it gets? I want to say something to you. I, there are several things in life I don't understand. Is anyone else like me on that? Technology is one of them. All right? I use technology. I love technology until anything goes wrong with it. And then in our house, Alison says, melodrama rules, okay? Because I can be a little melodramatic. And when something like my phone went last week, and oh my goodness, it was an incredible cataclysmic event in our house when for 24 hours I didn't have a phone. There's several things I don't understand in life. But you know, one thing I don't understand is how people who experience God in remarkable ways turn away. How is it that when people experience God in remarkable ways they turn away. You know, on Friday, and it breaks my heart to say this, I I watched our YouTube channel back over the last three or four years, and I watched some of the baptism stories and testimonies over the last few years, uh, and saw some of the people who looked younger than they do now. Uh, And it was great and exciting. And then in there were a few stories, and I thought, and where are you now? Because that was an incredible story. And I do not doubt for one minute that God interacted in your life and intervened, because he did. How could you experience God in such a way, and yet now you're not even following him? How can it be that some people have been healed by the power of God and they know it and yet they're not following him? How can it be that some of our marriages have been restored and reconciled and rescued by the intervention of God and yet we're not following him? How can it be? I don't 
understand that, but I know it's true. And here's a whole nation who experienced God and yet a whole generation who died in the wilderness because they couldn't enter in. I don't want to be like that. And in America, there was a survey done in the last few years uh, called the Reveal Survey, where they, the massive piece of work where they surveyed Christians from a thousand churches across the states, from the big mega, mega churches in the cities to the very small rural churches to village churches, all variants, okay, different kinds of uh, denominations and, and flavors. And they surveyed a thousand churches, so thousands and thousands of Christians. And the one question they were trying to get at was this. How many of you know that you are growing in your relationship with God and growing in your love for people? Do you know how many? 11%. 11%. Which means that 89%, almost 9 in 10 of Christians would say, Do you know what? I know I've come out of Egypt, but I'm in the wilderness. Because it's only when I'm in Canaan that I'm growing in my love for God and growing in my love for people. So it's possible. And it's possible for you and I to be in that wilderness situation. But I wanted to fast forward right to the end of the Canaan story in the Joshua story. In Joshua 21, Joshua gets everyone together and he looks back on his life and on their life and how God has brought them in. And you'll hear about this in the next few weeks. And right at the end, he says, let's just remember that God promised it and God did it. And here's what he says in, in, in Joshua 21. And we'll keep the screen back just for a second. It says, the Lord gave to Israel all the, all the land he had sworn to give. And they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around and not an enemy stood not a word failed of any good thing that the Lord has spoken to their forefathers. All came to pass. It's brilliant, isn't it? Wouldn't you love that about you? That Actually, everything that God had promised me, I got. I possessed everything that God had for me to possess. That would be amazing. In fact, what I want us to do this morning, because con confession and the use of your mouth is important. I want us to look at it and we're going to put some blanks. And I want you to put your name in it. So let me show it to you, Chris. So let me do it with me, and then we're going to do it together. So the Lord gave to Leon all the life he's sworn to give. And Leon took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave Leon rest all around, and not an enemy stood. Not a word failed of any good thing the Lord had spoken to Leon. All came to pass. Isn't that amazing? Now what I want us to do is I want to read it, and I want us to read it out loud. And then when it gets to the blank, it's going to go, blah, 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 blah. all right? And some of you will be speaking in tongues and you didn't even know it. As, as, as we will say our name and we'll put our name in that blank because this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So let's do it. The Lord gave to Leon all the life he had sworn to give. And Leon took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave Leon rest all around and not an enemy stood. Not a word failed of any good thing. The Lord had spoke to Leon. All came to pass. Amen. You know, when I was 17, something happened to me, which I'm very fortunate to have happened, okay? And I wouldn't say this lightly, but it's an illustration that I want to give here. But when I was 17, I passed my test, and I was just going out with Alison, now my wife. We just started going out. And my mom was about to get a new car. And so my dad took all of us, the four of us, I think my sister might have been there as well. Who knows where she was back in there, but she's probably there. Uh, and took us up to the, oh yeah, you're there. <laughs> took us up to the, to the car showroom. And, um, and my mom got into a new car, and she's trying it all out and all that, checking where the cigarette lighter was and all of that. I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, and, and, and then as we were watching mom get into her brand new car, my dad said, what do you think about that car over there? And it was a mini Metro. 
Do you remember Mini Metros? And it was a special edition, a sporty one with go faster stripes down the outside of a Mini Metro. And my dad said, why don't you go and sit in a car? So I went and sat in a car and he said, it's yours. Here's the keys. It's the only new car I've ever had in my whole life, you see. But the point is this. It became mine because my dad declared it. But that isn't enough. I had to drive it. I had to take the keys. I had to take a step and had to possess it, didn't I? Sad thing about the story, which breaks down the illustration, is the week later I smashed it up. But that's a whole different story, okay? And it completely breaks down my illustration, so we'll ignore that. But you see, because my dad declared it, it became mine. But I had to possess it. And your dad, folks, has declared to you a land of inheritance, a Canaan, an experience of living in the fullness of who God is, in the fullness of God's spirit. Yes, there will be battles there. We're talking about that next week. Yes, there will be disappointments there. But you will experience God, a land as good as it gets. But you have to possess it. You have to take a step. You have to take a step. And as you step into Canaan, let's look at Canaan. It's the promised land. It's the inheritance. Over 60 times in the book of Joshua, the word inheritance is used. And if that's an Old Testament book, the New Testament counterpart to Joshua is the book of Ephesians. And there in Ephesians, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You know, I think sometimes we think that becoming a Christian, exiting out of Egypt, means it's like going through a car wash. You know, like we go through a car wash and then we come out and, and, and the outside is all clean and shiny and new. But when you become a Christian, if, if using the car wash illustration, not only are you cleaned up on the outside, but you go into that with a really old, being around the block, two-cylinder engine. You come out of it with a Ferrari turbocharged engine on the inside. Everything is new. The old has gone and the new has come. How many of you agree with that? That's what it means to become a Christian. That's what it means to exit Egypt. But when we stay stranded and aimless and same old, same old in the wilderness, we never ever realize the inheritance that God has for us. The car that he's given us to drive. So our big question today is how? How do we fully enter in? To the life God has for us. And two things I want to say this morning and then we're done. Firstly, we have to step out. We have to step out. We have to step out from the mantra of I can't. And this is really important for some of you this morning. Some of you say this in your head. I can't resist the bottle. I can't keep a job. I can't forgive. I can't manage a successful relationship. I can't trust God. You have to step out of the mantra of I can't if you're ever to enter in to the land that God has for you. And this was an incredibly long introduction, but here we go with Joshua chapter 1. And this is what God says. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the river Jordan into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Then verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. You know, I can imagine uh, Joshua and Moses was the greatest leader that Israel had ever known. He's like the Napoleon, like the Alexander the Great, the Churchill. An incredible leader. And I can imagine Joshua listening to God saying, Moses is dead, now you're going to do it. And I can imagine Joshua saying, hang on, Moses is the greatest leader we've ever known. He couldn't do it and you expect me to do it. But he doesn't react like that. Because what he actually says is, okay, let's get up. 
I can't do it, but I know he can. And this is the thing, folks. You can't, but you can. You can't, but you can, because he can. Be strong and courageous, because I will be with you. When you take a step, I'm taking a step with you. You see, Joshua had a Canaan mentality, not a wilderness one. This is really important. Mentality is everything. A wilderness mentality says this, I'm weak and I always will be weak. Some of you have got that mentality. In some areas of your life, I'm weak and I'll always be weak. Canaan mentality says, I was weak, but I'm getting stronger. Wilderness mentality says, I'm a victim of my environment and my circumstances. A Canaan mentality says, I'm a victor despite my circumstances and environment. Um, a wilderness mentality says, these difficult days I am never going to get through. A Canaan mentality says, these days are really difficult, but with God, we are going to get through. You've got to step out of the mantra of, I can't. You can't, but you can. You can and you can't because of God. Moses is dead, but God's alive. Amen. Moses is dead. It's fact, but God is alive. So he says to Moses, you, uh, to Joshua, you've got to step out of the mantra of I can't. Then you've got to step out of the shadows of the past. This whole shadow of Moses, this great leader. And he doesn't make a statement by saying Moses is dead. I'd expect him to say Moses is dead, so grieve or so retreat or so get some counseling. Good though all those things are, but he doesn't. He says Moses is dead, move on. The past is dead, the past is over, move on. I know that's harder than it says. I, I know that, I understand that. But there's something by which we, it's not a negative statement about Moses. It's just a factual statement that Moses is dead. You are not going to enter into the land that God has for you by keep going back to the past. You are not going to step into the future by keep being held back by the past. Years ago, a guy that I used to read a lot of called Jack Hayford wrote a brilliant book about Joshua. And in that, he said this. Some people have stopped expecting They've accumulated enough of life's disappointments to become afraid to dream, to reach, to stretch, to broaden their horizons. Some of us are so held by the shadows of yesterday that it blocks out the sunlight of today and tomorrow. And we will never enter into the land God has for us unless we step out of the shadows of the past. You'll never have a great relationship when you always revert to the old patterns that got your relationship broken up before. You'll never enter into the job that's fulfilling for you when you go back to the old patterns that meant the last job wasn't. Do you know what I'm saying? Unless we step out of the shadows of the past, we will never enter into the future. And I think many of us as Christians are delivered, but we're not living free. We're delivered, but we're not living free. We get stuck in the wilderness. So we have to step out. Secondly, we have to step in. Let's continue with the story. We're nearly there. Joshua chapter three. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. People, excuse me. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the Levitical priests carrying it, move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. Here they were camping by the river, okay? Nice weather, by the river, all going well. Sausages in the pan, everything's going well. And they're all chilling out and they're all comfortable. But they're still in the wilderness. They're still here. And then God says in a, with a shot, it's time to go. 
And sometimes it's a shock that will move you out of the wilderness into the promised land. And I want to say to you, if, though, if there's any of you this morning and you're going through something in your life that's a shock to you, maybe you're going through a marriage difficulty, maybe you're going through a work situation or a health situation, don't think that God is not at work in that. He hasn't necessarily caused it, but he's at work in that because it's often a shock where God can come in and can open something new up for you for your future. So don't just think it's all about the issue. God is always at work at a deeper level than just the issue that you're going through. And then he says, okay, now you need to go. And so the priests go forward to the river and the river's in full flood. And they're saying, hang on, my dad declared it. God said, I'll have it. Here's the car you're going to drive, but, the, but it's, in, it's in full flood. How are we going to do it? And as they got nearer to the river, it didn't stop flowing. In fact, it sounded to them louder. The spray hit them as they got closer to it. And then the amazing thing is this, that as those priests put their foot into the river, then the river parted. You will never enter the promised land if you're not willing to get your feet wet. So many of us as Christians, we want God to part it and then we'll step in. It don't work like that. It only works that we step into something, sometimes blind, with only the voice of someone we trust saying, step into it. And we step into the river. And as we step into the river, then it parts. You know, scholars and historians believe that maybe this river parted through a geological natural phenomenon. That's fine. If that is the case, then it happened at exactly the same time when God said it, and it, exact, it happened exactly long enough for two million people to get through. So that's fine. I think that's a miracle. Don't you? I think that's a miracle. For God to do it at exactly the same time, for exactly long enough, in exactly that way, is a miracle. And I just want to say to you folks, we can enter into the land God has for us, but we have to take a step out of the mantra of I can't, out of the shadows of the past, and then into the river that is standing before us. Let me just say a little bit of a word for a couple of minutes about leadership. Okay, this might seem a tangent, but it's really important. And I hope it doesn't come over as a rant. All right, because I think it may have done at the first service. But, but, but these, <laughs> yeah. these priests uh, were the leaders and they led forward. Okay, and they got their feet wet before all the other two million said, it's okay, it's parted up. And then they went through. It really frustrates me these days the view that our culture has about leadership at every level. Let me just say a word about political leadership, okay? Political leadership is really, really difficult. Whether you're working in local authority, whether you're a councillor, whether you're MP, whether you are a prime minister, it is really, really difficult. And it is so easy and so cheap and lazy to be critical about leaders. The vast majority of people, I think, that enter into leadership in the political arena do it for really good reasons and really good motives. The vast majority, I believe that. I don't know them all, obviously, but I believe that. I also believe it's incredibly difficult to do. And it really frustrates me how on Facebook and those things like that, then people say, oh, I see, that just proves what so-and-so is like. That just proves what David Cameron's really like. That what proves what Jeremy Corbyn's really like. It's so easy, so cynical, so lazy, so cheap. We should be better than that. We should be better than that. The Bible says we should pray for those who are in leadership over us, whether we agree with them or not, whether we vote for them or not, we should pray for them. And if you think that going to Europe and negotiating, and by the word negotiating, that always means you don't get everything you want because that's the, that's the definition of negotiating. There's got to be some compromise. If you think going to Europe and negotiating with 27 other European leaders and you're not going to come back with not everything you wanted, if you think you are going to come back with everything you want, you're deluded. 
You really are. And that's not a party political statement on behalf of the Conservative Party. What it is, is a statement about let's look at all of our leaders, whether they're blue, whether they're red, whether they're yellow, whether they're whatever colour they are, and let's support them and pray for them because it's a flipping hard job to do. And actually, isn't it easy to sit back and watch them open up the water and say, it's all right now, we're watering. Isn't that so easy? Leadership is tough at every single level. And the Bible says we should support and pray for those who have leadership over us. And I think over the next two or three months, where it's all going to get Europe crazy, I would say to you, and we'll talk into this as a church, I would say to you, find out for yourself, okay? Think and pray Use your vote, but let's speak respectfully of everybody else's view and opinion. Because it is so complicated and difficult, isn't it? And whether you're a leader in any way, shape or form, you know how difficult it is like I do. And I just think the church should be those people that act in an honourable, encouraging, supportive way of those who step out and who get their feet wet on our behalf. And can I also just say to you, what we as leaders want to do is on a vision gathering a week on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, we want to say to you, this is where we sense God is leading us forward. Okay, and we really want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. Something that someone said to me years ago, I became an, a, a leader in a local church, my previous church to this when I was 21. So I was really young to be an elder. And someone, an older guy said to me, you be like the priests in this story. Who, you know, if, when you're a leader and you see the promised land, your inclination is to say, I'm going to go there. And he said, what you should do is go through the water and then stand in the middle, just like the priest did, and then turn around and say, hey, guys, this is where God's going to take us. I want to wait here and I want to help you and take all of you with us and let's go to where God wants us to be. And I've never forgotten that. And that's what we want to do on the vision gathering. We want to say to you, this is where we sense God's leading us, but we're going to wait here and we're going to help every single one of you to go. But listen, if you don't want to go, we're going anyway. We will wait and we will do all we can and we'll reach out a hand and we'll help you and we'll encourage you and we'll talk to you. But do you know what? That's where we're going because that's where God's leading us. That's what leadership is. It isn't just going running ahead of yourself because then you're just going for a walk and no one's following you. But neither is it waiting. And if some, of you, some people say, I don't want to go there, I don't want to go there. Okay, we won't go there. That's not leadership neither. Leadership is saying, this is where we're going to go. This is a better future. It's a preferable future. And I'm going to stay in the middle. I'm going to get wet first. And I'm going to wait. And I'm going to help you to go there too. Because I want something for you more than I want something from you. We want to get to where God wants us to be. So how do you step into the river and enter in? You face the river, whatever the river is, whatever the barrier is for you folks, the stopping you entering into the land and the life that God has for you. You have to face it. But secondly, then you follow the ark. The Bible says they, the ark of the covenant moved out and they followed it. And they kept a distance so they could get a view of it. And the ark is symbolic of Jesus, the presence of God. And we will never enter into the land unless we face the river, get our feet wet and then follow Jesus. And as they followed him, so it opened up. The Red Sea was an exit, but the Jordan was an entrance. The wilderness, there was a taste of honey on their lips, but crossing the Jordan is about entering into the fullness. And entering into the fullness is about entering into the life of the Spirit. Crossing the Jordan in very real ways is a picture of baptism in the Spirit. And we haven't got time to open that all up. But if you think the Red Sea is about salvation, the Jordan is very much about the baptism or the fullness of the Holy Spirit. For some people, that happens at the same time. But for others, like myself, we get stuck in the wilderness for many months or even years before we enter fully in. I also think it's an experience that we need to continually be entering into. 
But when we enter into that fullness of the Spirit, we experience the river of God's Spirit. We experience the fire of God's Spirit. We experience the life of God's Spirit. And I don't know about you, but that's the place I'd rather be. I don't want to be stuck in the wilderness with I can't, I can't, the same old, same old stuff going around. I want to enter into a life that God has for me. Do you? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, Lord, and we thank you that you speak to us, Lord Jesus, through these incredible stories. And God, right now at the start of our series together, God, we want to say, Lord, we want to enter in. God, I want to pray that if there's anyone here this morning and uh, they feel that they're in the wilderness, God, I want to pray that today they would take a step, that they would take a step. Lord Jesus, by your spirit, would you come and would you lead us and guide us in Jesus' name? Jesus.